welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Uh, my guest today is Malika Favre, a French-based artist in London. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast, Malika. This is amazing. You are You're the welcome. Mo- you are the most asked-for guest like ever. Everybody wanted to have you on. So, in America, we love you. So, I'm sure it's all around the world, but in particular, in New York, we love you. Here. Oh, thank you. Her bold, minimal style, often described as pop art meets op art, is a striking lesson in the use of positive and negative space and color. Her unmistakable style has established her as one of the UK's most sought-after graphic artists. Malika's clients include The New Yorker, Vogue, Sephora, Penguin Books, amongst many others. So let's get right into it, shall we? But your style is definitely very recognizable. Um, how did your style come to be, and did you always kind of have that signature style, or was it kind of more of a gradual progression? Um, no, it was a, it's something that happened like very organically, to be honest, like it, it happened over like 15 years or something. So I've always been drawing, uh, as far as I can remember, I was always drawing even as a kid, but, and for sure, I always had this like fascination for colors, like quite bold primary colors. So yeah. it's something that's always been, even in my taste, like, you know, I loved like a uh, Kandinsky and Mondrian and, you know, it's so, like really kind of bold, flat colored stuff. Right. Um, but really, when I, when, you know, what I used to draw was much more like, you know, graphic novel type things, like comic books, mm-hmm. you know, type drawings. And I, and I had a, a very classical, um, how do you say, uh, uh, not formation, how do you say that? Uh, like I, w- I, w- I was trained quite classically, basically, when it came to drawing. Right. So you don't have a style as such, but I could, I could draw anything. Yeah. You know. Because it, it, after like a lot of live drawing and observation and everything, but but the idea of uh, reducing um, you know illustration to their bare minimum and reducing the color palette to their bare minimum is something that came really late, like probably when I was around you know between 25 and 28 or something. Right. And I think it's really going through. For me, it was going to uh, graphic design school. And you know, learning the rules of graphic design and kind of approaching illustration from a totally different place, you know, approaching it from a totally different angle, uh, more almost like a like a logo design. Right. I think that's why I started finding it really interesting. Like, what if we apply the same principle uh, that we apply to logo to illustration? You know, right. and- very simple and basic with like three colors. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's something that um, that happened because I was working in a design studio in London at that time called Airside. And uh, we were doing a lot of animation, mm-hmm. but we had quite fairly small budgets as well. And we were doing a lot of character design and very simple, like how to films, you know, to explain like complex things and make yeah. them really cool. And so we had to do that like narratively, but also given the small budgets, we had to do that, you know, with the team, we had to do that. We had to find a style that would be doable, you know, with the budget we had. And I think that's when I really started exploring um you know, very minimal things and trying to say as much as I could with as little right. as I could. And uh, yeah, and it's only like a, when I started applying that same uh, method to my own work, my own, my personal work and the way I was drawing, you know, landscapes and women and, you know, anything, then I realized like, oh, there is something there. And yeah. I think that's like all the stuff I did when I was a kid, all the things I looked at, uh, all, you know, my love of color. I think that's where everything came into one place mm-hmm. and I ended up with that style. I yeah. think that's probably what happened. Yeah, for sure. I, and I heard that you're uh, from Tobias's awesome podcast. I heard that um, your mom was kind of your first uh, creative director, if you will. She was kind <laughs> of 
a little bit harsh with you. Not harsh, but she was very forthcoming and talked to you like an adult, which I totally relate to because I'm like that with kids. I talk to like yeah. two-year-olds like I'm talking to you right now. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my mom was definitely like that. So was your was just your mom and your dad or just your mom was a, a painter? Is that correct? Yeah, she's she's kind of like an all you know all around artist. Right. Like she paints on things, she makes her own clothes. Wow. You know, she can sculpt, she can make dolls. Like she can pretty much can do anything. Yeah. Um, but she never she never made a living out of it. It was always like kind of a hobby and you know, it was always for friends and families and things like that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, she but she could draw really, really well. And I've always, you know, I, I I've always loved drawing and I've always loved drawing with my mum and I guess like I don't even think she was that harsh in the end. I just think because I was a kid mm-hmm. and she was so much better than I was. Yeah. You'd and both was, show each other at the end and, you're, and hers would be like. <laughs> and she would always like kind of show me. Uh, yeah. She would always tell me when things were not right. She was not being like complacent. Like you can be with your own kids saying yeah. like, oh, everything you do is amazing. And right. you know, that's the most incredible thing I've seen. And because it wasn't, it was, you know, a five-year-old drawing. Right. So, uh, so she's always been quite critical of, you know, proportions and how things should be. And, but it's because she was a perfectionist and, yeah. um, and in the end it, it worked. And I was, but I was never, I was never forced to draw or it was never something that, uh, oh, okay. that's good. <laughs> no, but you know, maybe some, you know, like when some kids are like musicians or whatever, like yeah. sometimes you get parental pressure, but with my parents, I never got that because I mean, they never thought it was a job anyway. Right. So, yeah. It wasn't always it wasn't always the uh, the in job to be an artist and designer. Now it seems in today's day and age, like everybody wants yeah. to be a designer. So, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, this is so, somewhat of a confession uh, about like when I was in school. I when I found your work, I um, I was sh- somebody showed me. Uh, uh, I think it was at the time it was called Adobe Cooler, and now it's called Adobe Color. I think something like that. Basically, okay. like you can upload a picture and you can like yeah. take the colors. So one day I screenshotted like all of your work <laughs> and I, I like saved, I saved the colors and I was amazed that like, it, it was like never more than four colors. I was like, sometimes it was like three or like four. Yeah. Very simple. But the colors, like the combinations were so beautiful because I kind of like analyzed them. I have them on like the, I still, I think they're still in my Adobe swatches somewhere, but I won't, I won't use them in my work. I promise. But, um, yeah, I was trying. <laughs> I was trying to get my Malika on. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so, but how do you like? Okay, a, a lot of people that I know have great taste in color, but the way yeah. in which your colors interact, it's so beautiful. Yeah. But it's not like vibrating color. But they're so like it might be. I don't know. But where do you find inspiration for your colors? Do you like? Is it from the real world? Do you kind of just like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, it is. It is based. It is based on the real world because you get like incredible colors out there. Like if you see, uh, you know, reflections in water, and you know, things don't have to be like we were told they were. Like you know, water is not blue right. always. You know, because depending on what's reflecting in the water, you could get, you know, hints of pink or yellow. Or so I think I'm always looking for these colors. But I have a the way I approach color, I have a very, um, you know, it, it's all very basic in a way because it's all based on the color prism and and colors being opposites of each other. Right. So, for example, very, very quickly, I realized that, uh, for example, if you take, um, I don't know, yellow and blue, mm-hmm. uh, 
basically yellow can be the light of blue and blue can be the shadow of yellow right yeah if you know what I mean. so you can you can you can already play with you've got two colors and one can be the shadow of the other yeah because they complete each other they are you know at the different end of the spe- of the color spectrum and so they complete each other and then you know you start you, you start building up so okay if if blue is the shadow of yellow then what is the shadow of blue you know and then right. that's, that's where, like shadow of blue is black so you yeah. you kind of like you build colors but with these colors you can create lots of depth yeah. basically Definitely. so i always like to uh, to to play with uh, contrasting colors that really, uh, you know, they create contrast and they ultimately they create depth and they allow you to to draw something very complex with a very limited palette. Yeah. That's what I find interesting. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah. And when I, and anal- I the red and blue together as well, I find fascinating. Yeah, they're really beautiful. It's like the um, like the one like with the girl like with the bandana. I love that one. Well, it's funny because I uh, after. After I did that, and after I hijacked all your colors from your website, which I promised not to use, uh, <laughs> I I kind of like realized too that like, because I at that at that point was kind of just like arbitrarily just kind of just picking colors, but then yeah. when I realized like there's definitely like a science to it. Actually, because of that, I then went on to um, read books by like Sean Adams and and um, yeah. you know learn about like vibrating color and things like that. So it kind of like I found those colors and I saw like kind of analyze the relationships with them. And then I went down the wormhole in terms of like color theory and stuff. So I never really thought about it, but I kind of owe that sure. to you. So thank you. Yeah, color, color theory is really fascinating. Yeah. It's really fascinating. I think, I think at the end of the day, it's more like even, even if you don't know the theory of it, it's about looking. It's right. like about looking at, you know, what color is the light and, you know, depending on if the light is white or yellow, you know, a halogen light or a warm light, like it creates... It creates different shadows and, you know, there is, everything is colored, you know, even the black is colored. Right. You know, a black is never, I never do use a black that's black. Right. It's always, uh, it always has a uh, blue in it or magenta or very rarely yellow because that turns to mud very quickly. Yeah. So you're kind of like, you try things, you make mistakes and then you realize what works and what doesn't. And then you kind of have like something that you refer back to, like you kind of have like your set thing after a while. Well, you do, I never, I never save colors, but I, I realize that I've got, of course, I've got certain colors that I really love, like turquoise, and mm-hmm. you know, I use a lot of red, and and um, and as much as I can, I try to keep the colors as pure as possible. So I end up using, you know, a hundred percent red on a lot of things. Right. Because you know, if I really, if I want a pure red, that's as pure as it gets. So, yeah. uh, so I end up, of course, using the same colors, and um, but then I like when. Uh, yeah, when I create something new and in, with a new palette and, you know, with more like pink and yellows and, yeah, I find that quite, uh, but picking colors is my favorite part of the process. So while we're talking about, um, about like your choice in color, also too, another aspect is kind of like the, the shadows. And I was always yeah. kind of curious, like when, for your work, how do you, is it based off of, and you don't have to answer this, you know, I don't want you to have to give away any secrets, so feel free to not uh. answer um, but do you base that like your images off of um, off of like pictures, or do you kind of just go from memory? Because like the the shadows are very elegant, but they're I almost feel like you'd have to see a picture of it to to it see. De- it depends. Uh, I I do both really. Like 
I do both. Like I, I, I do a lot of uh, research. I do a lot of images, actually, Im- researching images. But it's most of the time it's for, yeah, it's more for things like, you know, hand gesture, or it could actually be like the shadow of a tree or something. It's to kind of like get. It's never based on one single picture, mm-hmm. but it's taking elements from various things. And I think the shadows. It's something again. It's something that um, if you look. You can see them everywhere, you know, you see yeah. them around you. I've got them right now on my terrace, you know, like all these chairs, you know, uh, casting really interesting shadows. So sometimes I take pictures myself of things I see and I'm like, oh, this shadow, this element is interesting. You know, how do blinds cast shadows? So you have to do a bit of research because the, the truth is that you can't draw what you, you can't really draw something you haven't seen, you know, like in right. terms of like a realistic shadow, you need to to observe and and then reinterpret in a way. Yes. But, uh, because, I mean, when it comes, I, I don't mean in general, but I mean when, when you do what I do because it's, it has a very uh, strong realistic core, which is then very stylized. Yeah. But like anything, in order to stylize something, you need to understand how it works. Like yeah. you can't, you know, in order to simplify, you need to know the complexity of it and you need to, to decide what to take off and what to leave you right. know, to make it understand yeah understandable so um so yeah i do uh, i do a lot of picture research and i look a lot i yeah. look at things especially when i travel because day-to-day life i don't you know sometimes you get like really focused on your work and you don't get out and and also you don't yeah it, it takes energy to feed off images all the time or you know look around you right and i think i think that it's something that i can do I can do when I'm not working, when I'm traveling or because that's all you do. Basically, you just mm-hmm. look at new things. Yeah. So outside of um, outside of your work, I know, like, as you mentioned, you, you love to travel. You've been, yeah. I would assume, kind of like it sounds like all around the world, I'm guessing. But uh, uh, a little got, bit. Yeah, I haven't been everywhere, but I, I, because I started traveling uh, fairly late when I was 25. Okay. But um, but yeah. I'm, I'm trying to explore different parts of the world. Yeah. And then uh, I know that you, I read also too, that you like um, collecting colorful shoes. Yes. <laughs> colorful everything, really. Yeah. Uh, you, have to, you have to see the studio. It's pretty colorful. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, the color. But I have a huge collection of, uh, I mean, huge. I have a very, very good collection of colorful beautiful shoes like kind of heels and stuff which i never wear but right. i still love anyway my feet are not gonna grow so yeah I'll, I'll wear them so the purpose of this podcast getting getting back on here uh the purpose of this podcast is to bridge the gap between entry-level designers and the industry's best and um as i mentioned before americans are obsessed with you so uh so <laughs> as far as like um portfolio advice for young creatives especially people i think that you could really speak to this people who want to be illustrators and they might want to work with like handsome frank whom i love by the way i have spent more time on that website than like any other you work with them like most exceptionally talented people i'm gonna definitely link that they have have flair yes so let's say that somebody is graduating from school um and they want to pursue a career that would land them at a place like Handsome Frank or, you know, pick an agency, but yeah. that one, let's, we'll just say that. Um, what would be some steps to take and, and um, 
how do how do you get like discovered too? Like how if you're an illustrator, there's so many illustrators, there's so many different people kind of doing the same thing. How do you differentiate yourself and become noticed to be able to be in a place where you can work in an agency like that? Mm. I don't know. Like I, I want to believe that all you need to do is good work, but uh, I know it's a little bit vague. Right. But I think like I mean, in a way, I think that today. Um, you know, there are some good sides and bad sides to, uh, you know, to social media and, you know, the amounts of platforms, portfolio platforms and things like that that you have today. But the one, I mean, the one great side of it is that you don't need to be connected or, you know, to have the network to be known, basically. So I think it's about, it's about getting yourself out there. Right. It's about showing your work, um, also getting, you know, critical advice from people like you know as much as you can it could be anybody it could be your family it could be fellow designers it's like basically not having a big ego helps right because I, when you have a huge ego and you're a student then you just you know you you improve like slower than everyone anyone else right just because you're kind of like you know you're slowed down by your own confidence right I, kind of take think, take the place of like a being a, a student, like you're learning. You're not, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. learning, and it's all about, uh, um, yeah, like you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, so no one would expect from a student to have the portfolio of a fully developed illustrator who's been working for in the industry for twenty years. Right. So that's not what people are looking for. People are not looking for, uh, especially agents. They are not looking for like super, super uh, polished uh, work. I mean, good agents, I think, shouldn't be looking for that, but more for potential for growth. Like right. some, you know, all that matters is the eye. It's, you know, do you have ideas? Do you have a good eye? Uh, can you tell a story? It's also about that, like style. Style is nothing. Style is irrelevant. Right. I think it's very vacuous to base work purely on style. It's not just that. It's finding the style that goes well with the stories you want to tell. But at the end of the day, you need to tell stories. And communicate, so, yeah. Yeah, so I think in terms of portfolio, it's about, it depends where uh, you know a student wants to work, but a really good entry point for that is magazines and you know editorial work. Right. Really, you start doing advertising um, when you're already a little bit uh, established. Right. As, a, as an illustrator, so the first, the entry level is probably magazines and that is something that in a way anyone can aspire to do anyone can try and do like if you you know if you if you have ideas you know if you it's like training with like illustrating articles finding the right magazine for you and sending them stuff right. because you know art directors in magazines and newspapers are always looking for new blood yeah definitely you know and and i think it's a really good way to get your work out there like and uh, for me it worked like i worked for you know, at the beginning, I was like uh, doing stuff for um, uh, how do you call that? Like girls' magazines, like uh, Glamour and right. Cosmopolitan and yep. stuff like that. I, I don't do anymore at all. But and and so I was kind of like, you know, going through like the side door, and that's not what I wanted to do. Right. But you're paying your dues. <laughs> yeah, and and also it worked with what I was doing back then, which was a lot of glamorous ladies. You know, it was like back then I could never have, have um, even you know, dream, dreamt of uh, working for the New Yorker, but the type of work I was producing was not for the New Yorker. Right. Like I needed time, I needed maturity, all that. But it worked for the beauty industry and it worked for, you know, women's magazine. So I started doing that until 
I reached my little, um, you know, kind of pedestal there. Which <laughs> for, me was, for me, it was Vogue. Like I wanted to work for Vogue. Right. And once I worked for Vogue, then it opened like lots of other doors because it became kind of like in that industry, it was, you know, the best magazine you could work for. And then I left, you know, women's magazine behind and, and started working on totally different things. But I think it's about, for students, it's also about not wanting to do like everything straight away. And, you know, it's, it's great to want to work for like, you know, the best brands, the best magazines, the best things, but it's not very realistic. And I yeah. think sometimes um, rejection can get you really deflated and it can stop you from uh, moving on. So I think it's about being humble, working hard and trying to get your work noticed, whether it's through social media or by sending it to people, brands, and things like that. If you're not ready, you're not ready. It's like, you know, things happen in good time, in due time, right. you know. And, uh, but I think it's also about being, a, being a, having a good balance between being very ambitious and, re and also very realistic. Right, exactly. Very self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think having both is good because you always need ambition to kind of, you know, move forward. And, and, and most of the time, you, I mean, one thing that every single creative feels is that you're fraud. Everyone does. Like, everyone feels like, oh, well, yeah. like, oh, oh they are going to realize that I'm not as good as they think I am. And yeah. everyone has that <laughs> feeling. So it, and I think that's driven by ambition as well. It, it, it happens when, Someone tells you like, oh, could you do, you know, would you be able to do that? And you're like, yeah. And deep inside, you're like, fuck. <laughs> you <Right. know>? yeah. <laughs> and that's how you, that's how you, some people will say no, because they don't like putting themselves in a risky position or a position they, they can't control. Yeah. So, it's, you know, taking risk and being slightly out of your depths is very important to move faster. But also sometimes, um, yeah, you just can't, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're too far out. Yeah. Yeah. That you can't climb the fucking mountain and it's okay. You know, right. like not yet. Yeah. Um, so I think it's about, I mean, it's, it's very hard balance, but most of the people I know that are successful in the creative industry have that balance, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. All right. Let's get into some uh, questions that some people have sent in here. This is Adam Lehman. Adam Lehman yep. is a 24-year-old uh, designer. He just won uh, AIGA Command X last year. Really good dude. I think we might be best friends. We hung out the other <laughs> night and we hit it off really well. He's a good guy. Um, okay. When planning a project, do you do very detailed sketches and then simplify them or do you work with more uh, like with fluid shapes? Uh, fluid shapes, definitely. Yeah. So I you kind of just rearrange them? Yeah, when I do sketch, when I sketch, I do the minimum required for the client to understand the mood and the concept. Right. So it's very, it's colored sometimes, sometimes not, but most of the time it's colored because color is such an important part of uh, my work. And, and it has the kind of the right contrast and the right light, but the elements are drawn really badly. Right. Do they like? Do they get it? Do they get a little bit like disconcerted though when they see like your little like stick figure drawings and then it turns? <laughs> do they ever want to see more? <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I mean, sometimes when I don't trust that the client will understand, I also send. It helps sometimes to send a before and after sketch of another project. Right. 
when I think I'm not going to get it. So I, sh- I, I get like a really bad sketch from another project and then the finished thing to tell them like, this is how it will develop. Right. And I also, I'm, 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 I tend to do real presentations, like not just send like a, a, a JPEG of, also, you know, of an, uh, of an illustration. I, right. I actually do presentations where I write about, you know, how it's going to develop, blah, blah, blah. And I tell them what to look at. Yeah. Like here you should look at composition and mood. Here you should look at narrative, like all the elements are in place, blah, blah, blah. It's also yeah. for me to not to work for nothing because then if you, if I define, if I refine something and then the client is like, oh, I didn't want that, then it's a waste of time. So right. I'm trying to be very, um, yeah, I'm trying to manage basically the time as best as I can. Yeah. Just a follow-up question uh, to that. This is not Adam's question, but just in terms of that, I know you work with some um, some great agencies, um, and your work has been, you know, Budweiser and a whole bunch of Sephora, all these huge campaigns. When you work with them, do they come to you with like, "Hey, we've seen your work. We want we want you to do your thing on this," or do they kind of give you the guidelines and then you work within their parameters? Uh, it depends. Like, I, I really one thing I don't like is. One thing I don't like, I don't, it doesn't work for me, is when someone sketches something for me. Oh, yeah, no, fuck that. That, that doesn't work, but it could work for other illustrators. It's just that for me it doesn't work because the idea and the, and the composition are are really important in my work. So if you if you send me like a, an idea that I don't like or that I don't think will work in my style, there is no point because I think the, it just won't work. It just will be like a style, stylistic it's exercise. It's your thing, Sam, I think, right. Yeah. Yeah, but of course I take in like a, I love like a you know detailed briefs and uh, and of course when you work for big brands, you tend to have more parameters to follow or you know constraints or things that needs to be shown or so it's not as free as when you work for magazines right. for sure. Then sometimes it's a pure like for example with Budweiser with um uh, one of the project for Budweiser was the Statue of Liberty, and that one was actually a very straightforward brief because it was. Please do the Statue of Liberty the way you would do it. Right. But, you know, I don't have to. I mean, it's there. Like, the, you know, the statue is there. So it's more about finding the right angle, you know, and, and really trying to stylize it. Same with, like, when I do a, you know, when I did the Mozart portrait for the Lincoln Center in New York. Right. You know, art is Mozart. So it's almost like these, these type of project don't require me to be conceptual about it. Yeah. They require almost like an eye and simplifying things and it's more like a, a game yeah but but other projects um yeah i usually like i ask for a brief of what they want but not but i don't like to have specific specific elements like oh i want you to draw a woman with a mountain in the background and this like i find that boring yeah but, yeah that's so cool but then sometimes you you know sometimes you you can't you know that's why i i, I say yes or no to project based on the brief a lot. Right. And also, too, I think that a lot of times, like with, with your work, like when you work with JKR, for example, for the, um, who I love so much for the Budweiser yeah. stuff, I, I, I just discovered them. Like, um, I'd always seen their work out in public, but then I just discovered it like a month ago, and I'm yeah. obsessed with them. So <laughs> if you know anybody there, they need to come on the podcast like tomorrow. Um, oh, yeah, you- I can. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Do you find that, like, when you work with studios like that, that are, do you tend to work, want to work with agencies like JKR that's like um, focus on simplicity or do you sometimes work with agencies that get kind of complicated and you bring your 
simplistic, beautiful approach to them? Or do you kind of look for the agency that does the elegant work to begin with so it'll fit right in? No, I mean, of course, I I, uh, I curate the, the agency I work with. Like, I look at the work. Right. And if the work is bad, then nothing good can come out of it. <laughs> yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're gonna have you're gonna have to work with a creative director, and if that creative director was able to uh, to do those really bad campaigns, then I have no hope that mine will be better. Right. So, but that's when it's really bad. But I'm not looking for a style in. Uh, um, specifically because, you know, ad some advertising agencies, they don't have a very defined, you know, uh, aesthetic or they do a bit of everything and, right. you know, and they're really big clients. And so I look more, actually, I look more at the client and the client's heritage and they kind of have a look at previous campaigns and, and look at their taste level as well. And, you know, like, do I feel it's a right fit? Do I feel I will be able to do what I want to do, you know, like, or something interesting, or if everything is, you know, bad, then yeah, what? Like, I, I just say no. Right. You don't want to like associate your value with that. With, yeah. Yeah. Or, or even I don't believe that I will manage to do something good right. because there are so many. I mean, when it comes to advertising projects, you have so many people involved in the decision making process. It's just crazy. Yeah. Like, so if you can't trust that you know, the art director will have your back or the client um, will make the right decisions and there is no point doing it because what's gonna come out is gonna be, I mean, I'm gonna suffer. Uh, what's gonna come out is not gonna be good and there is nothing that frustrates me more than drawing something bad. Like right. it's really painful, I just really painful. Yeah. Like it frustrates me a lot. Yeah, for sure. All right. That's, uh, that's why I do very little advertising. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. You're at a point now you don't even need to. It's okay. You, 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 now you can just do your own stuff. It's cool. Yeah, I've paid my dues now. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, this is from Josh. Um, and I know some of this we covered, but feel free to take out of this what you want. Um, I'd love to hear about her process to find um, her style and how, how long that took. I know we kind of touched on that. Um, were you always an illustrator or did you start in design? And how were you discovered? Yeah, so I, I originally I wasn't an illustrator. Yeah, I was a, a, a fairly average graphic designer. Yeah, like I'd me. say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was worse than you. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I always liked ideas. Originally, I studied advertising and graphic design, so I wanted to work in advertising. When I when I was in Paris, like I loved coming up with ideas that I loved. Like, mm -hmm. you know, so my dream was like to be in a team, you know, and have like a, I don't know how you call that in a, in English, like, you know, the guy who writes. The copywriter. Yeah, a copywriter and artistic director. We've stole all your terms, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, From the Mad Men days, the English came here and then we stole everything. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that was, that was my goal. And then... I just ended up working in graphic design and, and that taught me a lot. So I wasn't an illustrator and and actually probably because I wasn't one, um, I didn't feel the pressure of making it or, you know, it all happened really slowly. And because I did like six years in a studio, in a design studio as a designer and I, was, I kept on drawing and I kept on developing my style, one day I just kind of realized that I had a portfolio Right. But without even realizing it, I wasn't planning on having a portfolio. I just had one yeah. because of 
the drawings I did, you know, over the years, but without pressuring myself into making it, you know, into the, the illustration world. So, so I think that helped a lot, like not to have that, uh, that fear of, you know, failing or whatever. So yeah, I did graphic design and, and then I get, yeah, I got lucky. Like yeah. a lot of people, right time, right place. Um, I got a, a commission that I did my first alphabet, like sexy alphabet, lesbian bunnies, uh, <laughs> when I was like maybe, uh, 26. And I did that in my design studio and, and they loved it. They loved it. So they decided to produce it for the shop as a screen print. So oh, wow. it was on their online shop and, and it got the attention of uh, a few magazines. And, um, and very shortly after that, they contacted my studio, like the design studio and asked if, you know, uh, they could commission me to do a, another alphabet for wallpaper magazine. It was a really good magazine, kind of like, you know, lifestyle and, you know, home, homeware kind of, right. yeah, life society. Like it's, it's quite a nice magazine, a bit like GQ or, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. and, um, yeah, and I did, and that got like a lot of, uh, that got me a lot of exposure and I, I started getting um, attention from the design blogs uh, um, who were showing my work and you know most of the work was produced for the shop yeah so uh, so it was actually under the airside umbrella it wasn't uh, but it still had my name on it so and then all of a sudden I kind of decided like okay I'm gonna I think I have to become an illustrator I think that's my calling and that's what I'm good at and I'm a really bad web designer and I'm a really <laughs> bad logo designer and the one thing I really liked though was uh, animation direction that yeah. I really liked. But um, but I love drawing more, and and I wanted to do my own thing as well. Yeah. Do you do your own animations, like for the the New Yorker piece? Do you do that, or do you have somebody who does that now? No, I have I have someone who does that. Oh, okay. I love that yeah. one. With the umbrella. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Really, yeah, but it, I mean, Mathieu is really good. He's a French uh, freelance animator. He's very very good. Cool. It's just like working from home. He's always super busy because he's very good. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, no, I prefer, like, at some point, I'd love to learn animation, but I realize, like, it's a whole different skill set. Right. And, of course, I can do GIFs and stuff and, like, you know, frame animation. And, right. But it just takes so long. And at yeah. the end of the day, I also believe that you can't do everything and you have to be able to delegate what you can't do to people who can do it better. Right, because definitely. No, uh, you know, so, and I think it's fair. It's like, so when I get asked to do animation, I... You know, I build a little budget for him and, you know, I just do the art direction of right. it. Kind That's of what awesome. I was doing. Very cool. Um, all right. This is going to be the last question. I appreciate your, your answers have been killer. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> um, so this is from Ron. How does she feel about so many people leveraging her style? Well, leveraging, do you mean copying? I mean, completely stealing your style because I see it all the time. That's false. Um, you, could be, you could probably be a millionaire if you could just start suing people for like intellectual. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Oh, good, good. <laughs> Get that paper, girl. Yeah. I'm doing it. Don't worry. Um, yeah, no, no. I started doing it because it became out of it, it. It just became crazy. Um, I mean, on one hand, I'm very flattered, and 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 you know, it it, it means that I brought something you know that people want to reproduce. So that, and you know, when it's, when it's students or you can't really, you know, like you, you can't really say that a style, especially what I do, like, you know, flat vector graphics, I could never claim that that belongs to me. Right. Nor can I claim that negative space belongs to me. 
or shadow work or, you know, because other people have been doing that and, and I respect, you know, I respect it, especially when it's good. Um, but the problem is like, I, what I don't understand is like, how can people not see that in what I do, the style is one thing, but it's definitely not the heart of what I do. So every time I see someone copying me, usually what they do is they copy the just the overall style, but they can never get the right palette. <laughs> they can't draw. So really, if they can't draw, they can't really do it because, yeah. you know, Illustrator doesn't help you draw. You know, mm. you have to be able to draw first in order to use the tool. So... So I think it it makes me it's almost like it it pushes me to to work more to do new things and to really 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 perfect my craft because yeah. at some point I realized okay wh what is unique to me it's the the color palettes and the curves like right. the perfection of the curve and you know this kind of and the eye for composition and until I see someone who is doing it but better I'm fine right. the day I someone ripping me off better yeah I'm, I might start crying and retire but but I don't know I tend to think that uh, that you know the style or what you do as an illustrator or as an artist is the sum of everything you've been doing for the past 20 years it didn't happen like right. you know day you woke up and you were like I'm gonna start doing this because I like it yeah. you know it's, it's usually a sum of where you come from, what you've seen, the stuff you've been exposed to, you know, the art. Your life experience, yeah. Life experience. So no one can really be in your head. So these people can only copy what I've already done. They can't copy what I'm about to do. Right. But when brands or advertising agencies do it, then I get really pissed off. Yeah. Because 90% of the time they do it because they don't have the budget to hire me. Or in a lot of cases, I've already said no to the job. But Which is so they, crazy that they would do that. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, but I think it's the problem is again it's what you were talking about um, before with patience. It's like I think the the I think the advertising industry is is going downhill to be honest these days. And the problem is like no one has time. Everyone wants things for the next twenty four hours. Like there is no no one takes time to produce good work. I mean, of course some people do, but right. a lot of people don't. And because the clients. Uh, are pressuring them to get things out of the door really fast and they think that you know with a new technology and you know it's possible but good work takes time and the thing is also like they uh, they like in, in a lot of cases they show instead of uh, showing the client ideas and a wide range of style what they do what some agencies do is they take your work put it in a fake billboard like the work you've produced for someone else, mm -hmm. show it to the client and be like, that's what you're going to get. And then you're like, no, because that was actually for a different client. So, you know, they, there is yeah. no idea. No. And then if the client has said yes, then they approach you and ask you for budget, timings. And if you say no, they are left with an angry client because mm -hmm. you know, you've already sold them into the idea that they were going to get it. Right. So that's when they start approaching like, uh, yeah, copycats or, you know, people who do it, but slightly different or. Right. So I think it's a, it's a bit of a vicious circle and, and it's always like mo most times you can't do anything about it because they change enough so that even on a legal ground, um, you just can't prove it. It's very rare, but when it's really, really blatant and especially when I've said no to the campaign. Yeah. 
then I'm just like, okay, you know. You gotta be fucking yeah, kidding me, yeah. Like basically, how yeah. can you call yourself a creative? But it will happen, and and all I can do is have a good lawyer, which I have, and uh, and try to spend as little. Remember that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But some people know. <laughs> <laughs> some people have but, found out already. Yeah. Yeah, but it's. I think it's important to defend yourself and to defend your work because if you don't do anything, then eventually you're going to become obsolete, and it's going to just get out of hands. I think it's it, and it's important for. Yeah, for illustrators to defend themselves and to find, because you have, you know, lawyers who are not that expensive and can actually help you, you know, with this stuff. But I think it's something that no one talks about. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. This has been so amazing. Um, where can people find you online if people want to uh, get in touch or, or, you know, buy some beautiful prints? Where can they find ah, you? Ah, yeah. Well, there is a, well, on my website. I'm taking commission on all the ones you get from this podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, on the website there is a yeah there is the e-shop with my uh, my lovely assistant taking care of everything. And um, Thomas. Mm? Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, I love great. him. He's been a pleasure to work with. Thomas, thank you for putting this together. By the way, he's been very uh, he's been great. Yeah. So yeah, he's a he's a sweetheart, really. And uh, yeah, and otherwise, like uh, I mean, most of my most of new my the new stuff, the new work, I always put on Instagram. Like that's where I'm the most active. Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, that's probably a good place to, to follow. Very cool. This has been a, a, a privilege and a pleasure. It's been amazing. Thank you.